the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show on a Tuesday right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We have a full show today, all 90 minutes, right up until 7 o'clock. The Red Sox are heading back to the American League Championship Series. They walk off the Rays again last night. Final score, 6-5. It was a great game, then it was nerve-wracking, and then it was great again, and it was definitely exciting. Red Sox, one, one step, one more impediment away from another appearance in the World Series. We're changing up our Tuesday plan a bit today. Red Sox insider and St. Michael's College graduate Tom Karen of Nesson is going to be with us at 545. He'll talk about the Sox win and much more. Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, is always with us on a Tuesday. We talked to Bob already today, so Bob's interview is already available on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. We're going to play some of it back in the 6 o'clock hour. So we'll play about five minutes of the interview with Bob Sosi in the 6 o'clock hour. The full interview is 13 minutes. You can check it out on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. That's on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. As always, you can get in. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Socks in the ALCS, baby. Let go. Five, four, three. Two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Red Sox win it 6-5. Walk-off sack fly by Kike Hernandez, and in doing so, they eliminate the AL East champion, the 100-win Tampa Bay Rays in just four games. And now, the Red Sox are taunting us. They're taunting the fans, they're taunting the media, and they deserve to. The Red Sox are letting us hear it. We let them hear it for months. The Red Sox today are letting us hear it. And I have no problem with it, because we were wrong. We were wrong. We were wrong about this team. We were wrong about their talent level. We were wrong about their makeup. We were wrong about their resolve. We were wrong about their ability to stay healthy. We were wrong about almost everything with this team, and we deserve to hear it. Here was J.D. Martinez last night after the game. Ecstatic, you know. Yeah, I think I think if you ask every, you know, every person, every broadcaster, every journalist, if we were going to be here at the beginning of the year, they'd tell us we're drunk or crazy. You know, so we're out there proving everyone wrong, and we're just excited for it. You know, everyone on this team's hungry, and they gotta, they're got they on a mission. It's a popular thing when you win to say, everybody doubted us, nobody believed in us, and usually we can just roll our eyes at that. You can't roll your eyes at this. We did doubt them. We didn't believe. And I'm not afraid to admit it. And if J.D. Martinez were on the show today, I would tell him, 
that I was wrong about this team. There was a small period in about the middle of July, after the Red Sox swept the Yankees and they had that massive comeback on a Sunday afternoon. There was a, maybe that was, yeah, I guess that was probably in July. That was a small period of time then and only then that I believed on this in this team. Everywhere else, I doubted this team at every other point. I didn't believe in this team in the offseason when I saw Toronto signing George Springer and signing Kirby Yates. I didn't believe in this team when I saw Tampa trading Blake Snell and acquiring a whole lot of good talent back from San Diego. I thought the Yankees were a 100-win team, and I thought those teams were better than the Red Sox, and I started thinking that way in the offseason. In spring training, when they were telling us they were good, I was telling you, that their best-case scenario was to get a bounce-back year from a couple of low-cost veterans and then to flip them at the deadline and play the kids in the second half of the season and build the farm system. I thought that was best-case scenario. I thought the Red Sox, if they were lucky, would hang around the race in the first half, make it interesting for us in the first half for 80 games, and then they would flip Garrett Richards. They would flip... Kike Hernandez. They could flip um, potentially Hunter Renfro. They could flip all of these veterans and go get young talent. I thought that was best case scenario. I never believed. And I deserve it. I deserve to hear it from you on the Napa Waterbury text line. I deserve to hear it from J.D. Martinez and whoever else in that Red Sox clubhouse wants to dish it out. I and we collectively in the media and in the fan base, a a large portion of it We deserve this. We deserve that attitude from those players because they did this. And they accomplished something great. You know, the Red Sox were healthy for a lot of the season. And I said multiple times, yeah, but if they ever have to deal with what Houston's going through, they'll fade. If they ever have to deal with what Chicago's going through, they'll fade. Oh, if they ever got hit with an outbreak like the Yankees... They'd fade. And you know what? They faded, but they never faded out. They overcame all of it. And they deserve our respect. Chris Sale was gone. They overcame it. They lost a zillion guys to COVID. They had natural injuries occur that you get over the course of a baseball season, and they beat all the odds. No, it wasn't pretty. No, it wasn't always seamless. But they did it. And they deserve to be here. The resolve that they had the character that they have and the way they are built and the way they are run the Red Sox deserve to be here and I owe them an apology I've I've loved everything that Haim Bloom has done I've championed Alex Cora over this season but at the end of the day I still didn't think it would pay off this year I believe in Haim Bloom I believe in this organization I didn't believe in the 2021 Red Sox being for real. They are real, and they are one step away from the World Series. They're probably going to play the Houston Astros. The Astros are currently beating the White Sox, and if the Astros hold on, 6-1, I think, in the eighth inning at last check. It'll be the it'll be a rematch of the 2018 ALCS. Some different faces, but the same hats on the same jerseys. And that will be a tough series. And I don't know if the Red Sox will win it, but they deserve to be there based on what they've accomplished this year and how they've been run, they deserve to be there. Again, I mentioned their resolve. It was a high 
high-character team this year and a high-character series against the Tampa Bay Rays. But even, you know, aside from that, the leadership, the resolve, that's all huge. The offense came back. When we look at baseball-wise, what got them this series win, it was their offense. Nick Pavetta was great, and his contributions will never be discounted. But overall, the offense won them this series. In the last three games, the three wins that the Red Sox had, 47 hits. The Red Sox had 47 hits in the last three games of this series. That's more than 15 a game. That is the second most in a three-game span in the history of playoff baseball. They've been playing baseball for more than 100 years. These three games by the Red Sox, second most hits ever in a three-game span. And the best part of it for me was that the offense not only came back, but it came back with contributions throughout the lineup. When I was busy doubting the Red Sox all season, one of the reasons we were doubting them was because ah, the top of the lineup is good, but what about the rest? Ah, the top, it's top-heavy. They don't have a whole lot of depth. Well, they had depth in this series. It was Schwarber. It was Devers. It was Kike. It was Vasquez. It was Arroyo having multi-hit games. From the top to the bottom, it didn't matter. They just kept coming. You know, I said about the White Sox this year, I said about Houston, I said about Tampa, their lineups were relentless. Well, in this series, the Red Sox lineup was relentless. You look up and down it. I gave you the lineup yesterday for Game 4. Every player except Bogarts was over 300 in the playoffs. That is something that could punch your ticket to the ALCS, and it did for the Red Sox. And on Kike, who had the walk-off sack fly yesterday, he had maybe the greatest postseason in Red Sox history by anybody not named David Ortiz. And you might laugh at me, you might roll your eyes. Kike Hernandez, what he did was David Ortiz-esque in this series. He had a hit in seven straight seven straight uh, plate appearances. No Red Sox player has ever done that. He had five extra base hits over two games. No Red Sox player has ever done that. He got nine hits in the final three games. No Red Sox hitter has ever done that in a playoff series. I mean, Kike Hernandez hit 450 in this ALDS. Because everybody was good, it's hard to say Kike solely carried them, but he was a main contributor to this series win and to this playoff run, and he was a main contributor to the 2021 Red Sox. Kike Hernandez's importance to this team goes undersold. From a baseball perspective, you know, 20 homers, so his offense shouldn't be discounted. His offense was beneficial to this team. His defensive versatility was critical to this team. His winning makeup and his experience in the playoffs was critical to this team. His relationship with Alex Cora certainly helped this team when you talk about chemistry and just his willingness to buy in and do what the team asked him to do. Kike Hernandez isn't the name that Devers is, isn't the name that Bogarts is, isn't the prospect that Dahlbeck is or or Jeter Downs is or Connor Wong is or Hauk is. He's in the middle. He's not any of those things. He's not any of those guys. But his imp- And as a result of that, his importance is understated, and it shouldn't be. And one last note on Kike. You know what I really loved? His ability last night in the ninth inning to just make contact. 
in a year of the strikeout, in a year where all we talked about were ballooning strikeout numbers, last night in the ninth inning, Kike Hernandez just made contact. Runner at second and third, one out. You knew the Rays were looking for the strikeout. They only had two options. We can walk Kike, load the bases, and try to set up the double play, or you can go for the K. You knew they were going to go for the strikeout. They were going to try to press the issue, and Kike Hernandez would not let it happen. In a year where everybody struck out and strikeouts were accepted, when the Rays needed one, and they were a top half of the league team in getting strikeouts as a pitching staff, and in a moment where they needed the K, Kike Hernandez did not let it happen. And the 0-1 pitch, a swing and a fly ball. Left center field, Meadows will make the catch. Here comes Santana, it is not in time, and the Red Sox are going to the ALCS. Kike Hernandez just made contact when his team needed to. Uh, No one's asked for this, but I have to give the random trivia question. I have to give you some random piece of trivia. Share this with your friends at the bar. This is the first time that the Red Sox have won a walk-off on a have won a series on a walk-off since 2008 Jed Lowry did it in the ALDS I had to fit that note in here today Kike's walk-off the first time the Sox have walked off in a series since 2008 when Jed Lowry did it it's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com Red Sox are going to the ALCS last night at Fenway looked great how did it sound how did it feel in person Tom Carrot of Nesson. He's going to be with us next on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The Red Sox are headed back to the ALCS for the first time since 2018. It, uh, it, the, the cardiac socks were at it last night, but the Red Sox have a lead, blow a lead, and then subsequently win it on a walk-off, beating the Rays by a score of 6-5. to five. A guy who's always there with the Red Sox every step of the way is our guy, Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson, the pre- and post-game show host, and a St. Michael's College graduate. TC, what was Fenway like last night? Oh, Brady, it was bonkers. Uh, and, and, and you're right. I mean, a 5 nothing lead, they give it all away. Nothing has been easy for this team. But you think about this. Nine days ago, you know, we were sitting here talking about tiebreaker games between Toronto and Seattle. And, you know, they had to come from behind against Washington just to clinch their wild card spot and get home field advantage. Without home field advantage, John Carlos Stanton probably hit three home runs at that game with that stadium. So you think about how they've gotten here. Uh, but they have gotten here. And I think. You know, it's an interesting team because they, they feel disrespected. You know, they, they, there's no doubt they felt the Yankees when, when the Yankees had to tell Major League Baseball on a four-way tiebreaker, where would they want to play? And they said, we want to go to Fenway and play the Red Sox. We don't want to go to Toronto. And then game one, when they looked up across Tropicana Field and, and, and Nelson Cruz and Juan and Franco are, are sitting around casually eating popcorn with a 5 nothing lead. Uh, you know, the story, when we walked in before game three, there were a couple of cartloads of, of champagne uh the rays had already ordered champagne to have with them in case uh these guys are, are, are using all of that as, as fuel and uh and good for them I, I i love teams that play with a chip on their shoulder 
the team's got a chip on its shoulder. And, and Fenway Park, I'll tell you, you asked what it was like last night. You know, uh, three weeks ago, everyone in Boston hated this team. You know, they were unvaccinated. They had a COVID outbreak. <laughs> Everybody was ready to move on and get the season over with. Now, you know, something about an underdog, uh, and you got a, you got a Patriots team with a losing record. So this, uh, this city has suddenly embraced this team, and it has been absolutely electric at Fenway in the playoffs. You know, back in July, I was listening to Hyam Bloom, and he talked about targeting winning players and players with energy. And when he said that, I instantly thought of Kike Hernandez, and the Kike Hernandez signing was much bigger maybe than we gave it credit for. I think it's been understated how valuable he has been to this team. Their performance this series was was heroic. But beyond that, I think he's been a bigger part of this team than we've given him credit for. I don't think there's any doubt. You know, I, I said in July, in, uh, in, in February, when this team was, was coming together in camp, I, 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 gotta, I, I, also, I said they're not going to win the World Series, so I, prove me wrong, they might. Uh, but I, I, I said but their hope is, the, the, like the best case scenario, and that's what we're living out now, is that this team is, is the 2013 Red Sox 2.0, right? You think back to 2013, and they didn't go out and get the biggest names at the deadline, but they got, you know, Johnny Gomes. They got Mike Napoli, right? They got, you know, Ryan Dempster and Jake Peavy at the deadline. They got winners, uh, to your point. Guys who had playoff experience. The Kike Hernandez is such a perfect example. Now, he wasn't always in the lineup with the Dodgers. He was an everyday player with the Dodgers, but he lived it and breathed it and had some really big clutch moments, uh, if you recall, with his playoff experience over in L.A. And he brings all of that here. And, and I'll add Kyle Schwarber to that, obviously. You go get him at the deadline. This guy won it all with the Cubs. I had a long talk with him the other day about experience, uh, what it means to a guy like him, a guy like Hernandez. And, you know, he said no doubt because, you know, he had a, Great point. He said, look back at the beginning of this series. You know, you're down, you shut out in game one, and, and they're stealing home and eating popcorn and having fun. Uh, and after a quick 2 nothing lead, a grand slam in the first inning of game two. He's like, most teams could not recover from that. Uh, and, and this team, you know, Alex Gore walking up and down the dugout saying, a lot of baseball left, just, just chip away at it, a lot of baseball left. And, and these guys, he said, because of our experience, we, we knew that, you know, just because you're down early in a series doesn't mean you can't come back and win a series. You know, the Cubs were down in that World Series and came back to beat the Indians. So, uh, you know, Kike Hernandez has, has been with the Dodgers when they lost World Series and been with them when they won World Series. And when you've been through all of that, uh, that, that experience allows you to keep it even keel. When, when you go through these dramatic highs and lows in the postseason. I am a complete High and Bloom uh, supporter and a diehard High and Bloom apologist. When everybody was getting off the High and Bloom bandwagon at the trade deadline for what they deemed as lack of activity, I never left that High and Bloom bandwagon. Between the guys you've mentioned, the Renfro move, Whitlock was a heist. I thought the Ottavino move was a heist on the Yankees. Is High and Bloom now finally back in everyone else's good graces and people are joining me? Boy, I hope so, because I've been with you all along, and, and there have just been you know people here in Boston, ah, he's turning it into Tampa Bay, it's a small market team, he doesn't care about winning, he only cares about the farm system. Uh, you know, let's not overlook the fact that he built a team in, in this season after a last place, a Disney year, the, the worst year I've covered, and I've seen, you know what, four last place seasons here with the Red Sox as I've covered them, and that was by far and away the least competitive Red Sox team I have ever covered in more than 20 years here. 
Uh, and he turned that team around in one offseason to be one of the final two American League teams playing and, and, and did all that while, while rebuilding a, a pipeline, a farm system that was ranked 20th by MLB Pipeline uh, at the uh, beginning of the season and was ranked 9th in their most recent, rank, or recent ranking. So he hasn't given up the future. But he's made the present pretty fun. Uh, somebody had a great line. They, they, uh, people like you, people like me, they have, uh, they've dubbed them the uh, Bluminati, uh, <laughs> and I'm all in. I'll be part of the Bluminati because I, I do believe he's a little smarter than the average GM, and uh, obviously is playing to the strength of, of what he learned in Washington. Yeah, what you want, what he learned in Tampa Bay. What you want is basically you don't want to build a new Tampa Bay model. You want to build a new Los Angeles Dodgers model, right? I mean that that you know they, coming from Tampa Bay going to Los Angeles, taking what they've learned about marketing efficiencies, and then adding your huge payroll. They do that here in Boston, it's going to be a good team for a long time. I'll tell you what, I know for a fact the Yankees front office is not real happy today because they, they, they thought for a few years now that they've been knocking on the door. If you remember when they beat Aaron Boone in the wild card, Aaron Boone had an interesting comment after. He goes, yeah, the rest of the league is closing the gap. What gap? They haven't won anything. But they, you know, now they've watched the Red Sox go from last place, rebuild, and they're a hell of a lot closer to winning it all than the Yankees are. So you got to like what Bloom has done. Tom Cairn, Red Sox insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Devers, three hits yesterday, the big home run. How much do you think he's playing through right now? It certainly doesn't look comfortable for him, but he is finding a way to get it done. So I don't know if you saw uh, our postgame show was on pretty late, but uh, Jim Rice, actually found Devers and had a conversation with him before the game and talked to him about shortening the swing. Uh, you know, that he was swinging so hard with so much follow-through that, that he was exacerbating the pain uh, when he was missing the ball. And, uh, and, and we actually, uh, Jemai Webster, our great reporter, actually got Devers to talk about what Jim told him after the game. And, and he said, I'm going to listen to a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. Hmm. So it's pretty cool because... <laughs> Jim's done this from time to time. 2018, he went and had a long talk with Jackie Bradley Jr. before the ALCS, and he wanted to be MVP of the ALCS. I'm like, dude, stop talking to me. Go talk to those guys. But it's, uh, you know, sometimes Devers gets so big in the swing, he's so powerful and so young and so raw uh, that, that his mechanics get a little bit out of whack. He can still smash the ball if he gets a hold of one. But last night, he kind of shortened things up a little bit, compact, not swinging as hard, uh, and he gets three hits. One of them, the big three-run home run. Uh, there's absolutely still pain, and, and make no mistake, the Red Sox are really going to benefit from these four days off by getting it done last night. He gets time. J.D. Martinez and his ankle get time. Chris Sale gets time. Everybody gets time to try to get a little healthier for this next round. Uh, but man, Devers, Devers has been something to watch. This kid is going to be really good for a really long time. How about uh, Erod? I mean, just battered around in game one. I saw people calling for Martin Perez to start yesterday instead of him. You know, anybody but Erod. And he goes five pretty good innings, but I think most importantly, he was very good early. And I think that mattered a lot. What, what, what about Erod? No doubt. Uh, set the tone at the beginning perfect through the first three innings. Remember, he got a great catch from Renfro to kind of salvage him. That was a leadoff. It could have been a whole different story if that one gets in there. Uh, I, I said it before the game, and I think it's playing out this way. I think Eduardo Rodriguez in, in 2021 is Derek Lowe 2.0. If you go back to 04, Derek Lowe almost got left off the roster. He was the last guy added to the 25-man roster because really they didn't have anybody else, but they weren't going to use him. Game three of the uh, ALDS against the Angels goes extra innings. Lowe winds up coming in a relief. He's been a starter all year. 
and he gets the win uh, when Ortiz hits the walk-off. And Lowe ends up, they use up all their pitchers in the, the 1908 game. They have to use Wakefield against the Yankees, who would have been their Game 7 starter. Lowe ends up starting Game 7 and getting the win. And he ends up starting Game 4 and getting the win against the Cardinals, first pitcher ever to get the win in the three clinching games. Hmm. This guy wasn't going to be on the roster. So here's Erod, uh, you know, an afterthought. They throw him in as a starter almost last minute, but now he's got to start game one, and he's awful. I, you know, nine, they give him nine batters, and they yank him. Two of them he walks, two runs scored. Uh, and, and because they have to use Pavetta now in extra innings in game three, you got no one else. You go to Erod last night, uh, and they're ready to fire up that bullpen quickly. All of a sudden, he's mowing everybody down. Perfect through three. You score five in the bottom of the third. He goes out there, takes a deep breath, and gets two more innings. I thought he was brilliant last night. Uh, and I'll tell you what, you know, it's a conversation for another day, but are you bringing Eduardo Rodriguez back? A lot of people say I never want to see him again. I, I don't know. If, I mean, there'll be a market for him. There's a lot of teams who want a guy like him, but there's not going to be a, a big money market, I don't think. He's hurt himself financially this year. So maybe a reasonable two-year deal. He, he takes the ball, he gives you innings, and I'll tell you what, he might pitch his way back over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, after everything he went through last year, myocarditis, a heart condition coming out of COVID-19, uh, I, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Erod to help uh, fill out that, ro- that that rotation next year. I'll get you out of here on this, ask you quickly about yesterday's show controversy. So I was reading, I think it was Jason Stark uh, of The Athletic who said that Christian Vasquez's Game 3 homer puts him in Red Sox lore, and it's one of the great Red Sox moments. And I was like, okay, easy. Like, it's there's a lot of Red Sox moments I think of as more heroic than that, as good as it was, as important as it was. I actually think what Pavetta did in Game 3 on two days rest is more heroic than Vasquez. Am I way out of bounds and a curmudgeon by saying that? Well, yeah, sure. Okay. I, will, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know about way out of bounds, but you're a curmudgeon. I mean, we can agree on that. I, I, think, I think you're right in that Pavetta, so what he did was certainly more heroic. I mean, just he was nails, right? And the energy he was bringing, high stepping off the mounds, primal screams after innings come to an end. Uh, but I will, you know, I mean, listen. Carlton Fisk in 1975, does he live in lore? Is, is that a legacy piece? It absolutely is. Uh, Dwight Evans' uh, catch and throw was a bigger play in that game, a bigger moment in that game. Uh, there were other bigger moments or, or bigger performances in that game, but the home run finally ended it. Uh, and you got to give Vasquez his due, man, because that thing was moving on and moving on, and, and the pressure was getting worse. You know, And they were blowing out their, their pitchers individually, while you were just hanging with Pavetta, and I don't know how much longer you could have hung with Pavetta. You know, you were going to get to the end of that. You needed that game to end. Uh, and so Christian Vasquez deserves all that credit for being the guy who ends that game. Uh, it was, you know, there aren't a lot of walk-off home runs and extra innings in Major League playoff history. If you do it, you deserve to have your name up there uh, as an all-time legacy piece. So uh, I'm with Stark on this one. Uh, I, I think you're right about Pavetta, and, and we certainly gave him all the love. Uh, but give me the guy who ends the game and lets me get on the air with the postgame show and get home before <laughs> 2 a.m. every time. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider, pre- and post-game show host at Ness and St. Mike's grad, always likes to come back up to Vermont and always likes hanging out with us. So, TC, we're going to have some uh, exciting news here to announce soon, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again down the road. So that's what we call the tease in the business. I love it. Thanks, Ab- Brady. Absolutely. We'll talk again. See you, TC. All right, yeah, a tease there. We'll, we'll we'll have more on that coming up soon here. And TC and I 
have a cool announcement to make. So Brady Farkas show, we're going to react to what TC said coming up in the six o'clock hour. But when we come back, we didn't get a chance to do it yesterday. We're going to unpack the Patriots. Are we encouraged or discouraged by the win against the Texans? That's coming up next on DEV. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV radio. Com. Appreciate Tom Karen of Nesson for hanging out with us. If you miss any of the interview, you can always find it by subscribing to our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. The show is brought to you in part by Century 21. They're back open in our area, and they are better than ever. Century 21 is now Century 21 The One. Using all the latest and greatest technology and marketing, they serve all of Central and Northern Vermont. Century 21 The One at the one to one. Com. All right, we will react to some of what Tom Karen had to tell us here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, well, actually about 20 minutes from now, we'll react to TC. Bob Sosi, we're going to hear from him, the voice of the Patriots, in this hour as well. We didn't get a chance to do this yesterday. We want to unpack the Patriots. Pats beat the Texans 25-22. to We did get a chance to talk with Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports yesterday, but we didn't get a chance to really dive in to our Pats takeaways ourselves. So we're going to do that here in a moment. Reminder... You can always get in on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line at 802 585 3026. Crew, fire up the music. And fire up the sounder. The good. Pitch to Bolden running left. He's got some room over there. Nice moves by Bolden. Bolden inside the 20. A big run by Brandon Bolden. A gain of 24. And the bat. Jones to the air, over the middle, and it is intercepted! Did Lonnie Johnson make the catch? He did! We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show. Unpacking the Patriots, our takeaways are in no particular order, but they're things that you need to know as the Pats beat the Texans 25-22, and they move to 2-3 through five games of the NFL season. The patchwork offensive line, did a very nice job on Sunday. We spent a lot of last week heading into that matchup wondering how a line that could and ended up, you know, how it could and did end up missing four starters would look like, and the Patriots answered that call. Mac Jones was kept upright more in Sunday's game than any other game this season, and that allowed him a chance to engineer a game-winning scoring drive and allowed him a chance to get the team back into a position to win the game. I mean, Yadni Kajusti allowed three pressures at left tackle, but James Ferentz allowed two. And other than that, no other offensive lineman allowed more than even a single pressure. I mean, the only time that Mac Jones was even sacked yesterday was a result of a missed blitz pickup, or on Sunday, rather, a missed blitz pickup by Brandon Bolton. The line did its job, missing four starters. The line kept Mac Jones intact, allowed him to help lead a game-winning drive, and allowed the Patriots to finally run the ball with some kind of consistency. Pats ran for 126 yards in Sunday's win, 4.2 yards per carry. That was some of the best they've looked running the football all season. So good job by the Pats offensive line, a group that had been much maligned and a group that we questioned in the wake of the two injuries and the two COVID-related uh, absences. The line answered the call, and after the game, Mac Jones was appreciative. The offensive line did a great job, and I think it all starts with them. So they were doubted all week, and there was this and that and all the noise around that. 
and they came out and they played really hard and they played together and I think I only got hit one time the whole game so um, just shout out to those guys and that they're a big reason why it happened and it was just uh, we just out competed um, I don't know if we outplayed the other team but we definitely out competed and that's all we can ask ourselves to do what were your takeaways on the game 802-585-3026 Mac Jones says that the Pats out-competed the Texans. I don't know if we outplayed them, he says, but we out-competed them. Well, they definitely didn't outplay them for at least most of the game. Sunday was still a very sloppy game overall for the Pats. The Pats, even in a win, continue to do things that bad teams do. Simply put, they make mistakes that bad teams make. I'm not going to apologize for a win. In the NFL, wins are hard to get. Wins on the road are even harder to get. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that the Pats won, but they didn't necessarily deserve to win. They played poor in a lot of different instances in this game on Sunday. Despite going 4-for-4 four four in field goals, Nick Folk missed an extra point. Could have loomed large. Damian Harris lost a fumble in the end zone, negated a touchdown off the board. The Pats committed more untimely penalties that first drive of the game, Texans go 18 methodical plays. They go 79 yards. They take 10 minutes off the clock. That was aided by a J.C. Jackson pass interference penalty the very first third down of the game. Pats had a chance to get the Texans off the field right away, couldn't, and boom, 10 minutes later, the Texans have scored a touchdown, and your offense has been sitting idly for a very long time. Mac Jones threw the pick that you heard to start the second half. Jacoby Myers dropped the ball that could have been a touchdown. The Pats are 20th in the league on third down defense. They allowed the Texans to get multiple fourth down conversions. The Pats probably didn't deserve to win the game. I won't apologize. Win pretty, win ugly, just win, baby. That's what Al Davis used to say. That's what I care about is the win. But against really good teams that are established, these kind of mistakes the Pats cannot afford to make because you will lose. The Cowboys are coming in here on Sunday into Foxborough, and the Cowboys are good. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Cowboys are really good. Dak Prescott doesn't look like he's missed a year, you know, missed a year almost with injury. They've got an electric group of wide receivers, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. They've got two running backs in Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott. They've got a defense that's playing much, much better in 2021 than it did in 2020. The Cowboys are good. You're not getting away against them with what you got away with on Sunday. Take the win, pocket the win. You needed the win. And you know now that win allows the Patriots to stay on kind of the fringes of the AFC playoff picture. The win was important, but the process of how you play is important as well. And you cannot do what you did on Sunday against Houston, against Dallas. It, when they come to town, they're going to be better. The offense is good. The defense is better. There's athletes all over the field. You cannot do what you have been doing on Sunday against Dallas. Unpacking the Patriots, number three. It was simply nice to see Mac Jones throw the ball to the end zone. The play that led to the tie game, Mac Jones to Hunter Henry, this one. Jacoby Myers in motion on third down. Jones looking end zone for Henry. He's got it. Touchdown. A clutch pass on third down. And the Patriots are an extra point away from tying it at 22. 
Mac Jones had a good statistical game overall. 23 of 30 for 231 yards, and that touchdown also had the pick. It was good to see him make that throw to the end zone. So much of the first half of the season so far has revolved around Mac Jones throwing short, taking what the defense gives us, taking the check down, and it's required players on the Patriots to make plays, to run after the catch, and the Pats really haven't done that. That's part of the reason why the offense hasn't been particularly good. Mac throws it short. Guys can't do anything with it afterwards. So rather than dink and dunk down the field and just hope that you break a tackle, it was nice to see Mac Jones throw the ball across the pylon to the end zone and Hunter Henry to make a play. A big investment on each side there. You invested the 15th overall pick in Mac Jones. You invested a lot of money in Hunter Henry. That connection came up big, and it did something we haven't really seen from the Patriots, throwing the ball to the end zone. And that score not only was huge in that it helped lead to a tie game, it was not only huge in that it showed Mac can throw it you know, f- further than six yards. It was big in that this Pats scored a touchdown in the red zone. The Patriots were 38. They've scored a touchdown on 38% of red zone drives. That's the last ranking in the NFL still. But it's nice to see that Mac could lead them down in the end zone or in the red zone area and eventually cash the ticket and score the touchdown. I hope that that play on Sunday leads to some more confidence in the red zone and some more ability in the red zone because the Pats have pieces. Now they need the play call, the confidence, and the execution and maybe it started with that play on Sunday. Number four, you know, I asked Andrew Catalan yesterday of CBS what word he would use to describe the game. He said the word gritty. To me, though, the game wasn't gritty. To me, the game was weird. That was the that That's the adjective I would use to describe Sunday's Patriots game. They beat the Texans 25-22, huge win, yeah. But the game itself was just weird. The Texans, from the start, felt like a team that was playing with house money. The Texans know they're bad, and they came out taking chances right away. Go for it on fourth down. Go for it on fourth down in your own territory. The Texans did all kinds of weird things. They played like a team that had nothing to lose. And I don't want to excuse the Patriots' mistakes that I just outlined, but it's hard to play against a team that has nothing to lose and has no fear. The Texans were just emptying the holster and they did things that were untraditional. They did things that were unpredictable. Again, it does not excuse the Patriots' lack of focus or the Patriots' mistakes, but again, it's a little bit unsettling to play against a team that you're not quite sure what's coming next. Fourth down multiple times, the weird fourth down fake punt, the Texans threw a flea flicker that resulted in a touchdown. Ingram. It's a flea flicker. Mills looking deep for Conley. He's got him. Touchdown. The old flea flicker. And the Texans go up 21 to 9. As a quick aside, that flea flicker was the best flea flicker I have ever seen in my life. Mark Ingram, who got the handoff and then pitched it back to Davis Mills, he sold that thing like I've never seen a flea flicker sold before. Usually, when guys are running a trick play, guys get anxious, right? Think about yourself playing in the backyard growing up. When you know you're doing something weird, everybody gets excited. They start smiling. They say everybody's kind of they just they know they know something's coming. 
Mark Ingram didn't give away anything. He, I thought he was legit running that ball up the middle. He was patient with it. He was deliberate with it. And he sold it to the point where they burned the secondary of the Patriots. I thought that was a brilliant play by Mark Ingram there. Didn't get antsy, didn't get anxious, stayed disciplined, and delivered a strike back to Mills, who could deliver a strike to Conley down the sideline as well. I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, I thought that was a great play, even in a losing effort. One additional thing I did like from Mac Jones in this one, this showed us that Mac Jones is capable of leading a team back. We always thought, and we always said, and I said it, the Patriots are a team that can't afford to get down double digits. They don't have the horses. They don't run the kind of offense. They need to play from ahead, not from behind. And maybe against a better team, that's still probably true. But it, we saw that Mac Jones has the poise, the leadership, the discipline, and the ability to lead a team back from behind and by double digits. The Pats were down at one point 22-9. They were down 13 points in the second half. And Mac Jones stayed with it, stayed true to himself, and got the best out of his teammates and led this team back. I, st- I don't want to be down 24 to 10 against the Chiefs. I don't want to be trailing Cleveland 17 to nothing. But the idea that Mac Jones can come back and won't wilt and that the Patriots can, you know, do have the ability to score quick enough to come back, that was all good to see. I don't want to make a habit of it, but it was good to see. And finally, the last thing on Mac Jones, he was talking with WEEI yesterday, and they asked him about baseball. They just asked Mac Jones if he was a baseball guy. Um, yeah, I, I definitely grew up actually watching them. My grandfather was a huge Red Sox fan, and um, I'm glad to see them doing well and hope they can pull out the series. So, Mac Jones just gets it. Now, Mac Jones says, my grandfather was a Red Sox fan. I grew up watching them. I want the Red Sox to win the game last night. I want them to win the series. I don't know if Mac Jones means that. I don't know if he really cares. I don't know if his grandfather really watched the Red Sox, but Mac Jones said the right thing there. I think it's really, really important for the starting quarterback, the face of your franchise, the CEO of your franchise. I think it's really important for him to be aligned with the organization and to be aligned with the fan base. And fans who are Patriot fans are also Red Sox fans. And I think it's a huge deal that Mac Jones shows support for the Red Sox. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the Eagles. His first press conference as a starter, he was wearing a Houston Astros hat. Giant misstep. Some people don't care about that stuff. Oh, it's just fashion. Oh, it's just a hat. No, no, no. Matters to me. Kemba Walker last year with the Celtics was wearing a Yankees hat. That was a big deal to me too. Mac Jones, CEO of your franchise. When he's the starting quarterback, he's the CEO. He's the face. And he needs to be aligned with the organization, and he needs to project a good image to the city. So I don't know if he's being truthful or if he's lying through his teeth, but he said the right thing. I'm rooting for the Red Sox. I watched the Red Sox growing up. I want to see them do well. That's what the fans want to hear. That's what the organization wants you to say, and he said it. Mac Jones continues to pass from the neck up, continues to pass every test. He's playing pretty well from the head down, too, from the shoulders down. But neck up, Mac Jones is doing very, very well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. That was Unpacking the Patriots. We do that every single, you know, usually Monday after a Patriots game. But we had a short show yesterday, so we'll back at it here with Unpacking the Patriots today. I want to mention one thing and one thing only about the John Gruden stuff. By this point, you've heard. 
John Gruden has resigned as head coach of the Vegas Raiders. Racist um, language in emails, misogynistic language in emails, homophobic language and emails. It's all come to light. John Gruden resigns as a result of that. I'm here to tell you the NFL is a hypocrite. And I want the NFL to stop being a hypocrite. I am not here to defend John Gruden. John Gruden does not deserve to have a job. So what I'm about to say is in no way a defense of John Gruden. It is an indictment, though, of the NFL. John Gruden, you you can't write that stuff. You can't say that stuff. You shouldn't think that stuff. And when you are in a management position trying to get a group of coaches and players to believe in you, there is no coming back from that. So John Gruden does not deserve a job. But the NFL is very hypocritical. I'm sure the league office today is thrilled that John Gruden resigned. I'm sure the league office is championing John Gruden's resignation because they can tell us that they care about diversity, that the league is open for everyone, and that is the way that it should be. That is the stance the league will take. We're glad Gruden's gone because his his views do not represent the values of our game. Really? That's what the NFL will say, but understand that it's not true. About two weeks ago, the NFL came out with the halftime show for the Super Bowl. And on it are Eminem, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Snoop Dogg, I believe, like pro- Mary J. Blige, prominent musicians, very successful musicians. Is the NFL aware of the song catalog and language usage among these artists? Is the NFL aware of that? The NFL will champion that the league is about diversity and the league is about inclusion. And they will say they're happy that John Gruden is gone because he ran counter to those values. But on the same breath, the league will bring in Eminem and Dr. Dre. I can think of off the top of my head multiple just Eminem and Dr. Dre songs that have misogynistic, homophobic, or you know racially insensitive language. Don't tell me that you don't want Gruden around, but you're okay with these musicians at the Super Bowl, and you found and are paying these musicians to perform. Be consistent one way or the other. John Gruden, in my mind, there's no coming back from this. He does not deserve a job. What he did is wrong. What he said is wrong. The way he thought was wrong. And if he's willing to write it in an email, there's chances are that he's probably said worse behind closed doors. And I don't need that guy. The league is right to not want John Gruden. But don't tell me that he's got to go, but but we're going to go find these guys that have said and done the exact same kind of stuff and that you're going to promote it all over everything. That is a hypocrite. Stop being a hypocrite. If you don't want Gruden, great. You shouldn't want these guys either because I can, again, think of countless songs, countless lyrics, countless verses where these guys are doing the exact same thing and and in some cases, much, much worse is what they're saying than what Gruden said. Like, go look at Eminem's song lyrics and tell me that, you know, tell me that that's kosher and above board because it's not. And the NFL is hypocritical. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, was on the Patriots pregame show this past Sunday on NBC Sports Boston. Here's what he had to say. There's nothing that can help Josh McDaniels more on the head coaching market than Mac Jones playing well. And Mac Jones has played well, and I think this is going to cause teams to take another look at Josh McDaniels in the offseason. How many times do we have to do this? How many times do we have to do the Josh McDaniels head coach rumors? Now it's, if Mac is good, that's a good reflection on Josh, and Josh can go be a head coach somewhere. I am not hiring Josh McDaniels as a head coach. I told you this last year when it was the uh, Eagles rumors before they hired Nick Sirianni. I told you this a couple of weeks ago when it was the USC rumors put out there by Joel Klatt, and I'm telling you this today when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Las Vegas Raiders or anywhere else that you might want to attach Josh McDaniels' names. I am not hiring him. I do concede that Mac Jones being good would be a good reflection of Josh McDaniels, but to me it's it's much more than that. Being a head coach is about working with more than just the QB. It's about being able to get the best out of everyone. And when I think of Josh McDaniels, I just don't see enough charisma to be an NFL head coach. Now, I don't need Josh McDaniels out here singing show tunes. I don't need him to be Rex Ryan and be a soundbite machine. But you do have to look like, to me, that you are in control of a locker room and that you can lead and get guys to believe in you, all 53. And I don't see McDaniels being that guy. Now, McDaniels getting Mac Jones to be good, that is that shows that Josh McDaniels is a good coach. I've never doubted that. Josh McDaniels is a good coach. He is a good tactician. He is good at working one-on-one with his quarterback. That's all true, and Mac Jones will prove that. But being a head coach is about getting 53 people to pull in the same direction at one, at the same time, not about sitting next to a guy one-on-one only. And I don't see that from Josh McDaniels. I never have. You've got to own the room. Robert Sala with the Jets owns the room. Owns the room. Guys will believe in him. Say what you want about him. Dan Campbell might look like a buffoon to some of you, but Lions players seem to respond. I know they're winless, but guys seem to like him. Own the room. That's what you have to do. I don't see Josh McDaniels being that. No one says the guy can't coach. No one says he can't work with quarterbacks. He clearly can. But I don't see him as a head coaching candidate because I just don't think he has the personality. And I'm going to maintain that stance until somebody tells me that they believe in Josh McDaniels as a head coach. We all know his football acumen. We all know his football acumen. I don't believe that he's got the personality to be a successful NFL head coach. Mac Jones playing good. That That's a good reflection on his acumen. Doesn't mean he'll be a good head coach. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com.
I got a lot of things wrong when it came to the 2021 Red Sox. Now that the team is is headed to the ALCS for the first time since 2018, I'm going to take a victory lap on the one thing that I got dead right. And everybody who doubted me, I want an apology for. I'll tell you what that's next, what that is next on DEV. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Thank you very much, Field. Brady Farkas Show back here on a Tuesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa Morris, Phil, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. A couple of texts that I want to get to that we've been sitting on here through the course of the day. Uh, this one came from, let's see, Nelson in Randolph. Brady, Devers hit the three-run homer yesterday. I thought he was hurt, question mark, question mark, question mark. I mean, Devers doesn't look comfortable. That's for sure. Now, he overcame it certainly yesterday. Three hits, the big home run that you referenced. But he does not look comfortable. TC told us, uh, Tom Karen rather, at 545, told us that uh, Devers talked with Jim Rice, shortened the swing a little bit, put a little less oomph into the swing, and therefore you know, was maybe able to take some of the brunt off of that either. whether I don't know if it's shoulder, arm, or what, but um, Devers did not look right in this series. Now, he again, he overcame it and performed, but now the hope is that three full days off is going to help him get right. I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference, but any difference at this point is, is noticeable for me, and that's important. So um, Red Sox don't win last night without Devers. They don't win this series without him. In fact, did you guys see the notes on just how good Devers is in the playoffs? Like, this is amazing. Devers is 24 years old still. He turns 25 in less than two weeks, but he's 24 still right now. At the age of 24, Rafael Devers has 20 career postseason RBI. He's the fourth player all time to have 20 RBIs or more before the age of 25. Now, I understand it might be a little bit skewed in that you have to come up early in your career in order to you know accumulate those kind of numbers. And Devers did. He came up very young. And you have to be in an organization that gets to the playoffs. Now, Juan Soto's phenomenal. He's under 25. Hasn't been in the playoffs again. You know, hasn't been in the playoffs enough to accumulate those kind of numbers. Devers has been to the playoffs multiple times. Has played deep into the playoffs by getting to a World Series and winning. So he's had chances that other people haven't had. But bottom line... At his, at his age, he's incredibly productive. He's a guy I want to see the Red Sox lock up long term. I don't know, you know. One of the guys that we work with here says, just says, "I'm not a Devers fan, and I never have been. I don't buy it." You should be buying Devers offense. I want the Red Sox to lock Devers up. I just don't know what they're going to do with him defensively. I would say the goal maybe is when J.D. Martinez leaves, and and he will be gone at some point, whether it's next offseason, like this upcoming offseason or the next one, maybe Devers becomes the DH. You stick it out at third one more year and Devers becomes a DH. Maybe Devers becomes a first baseman and you're going to get rid of Dahlbeck down the line. I would doubt that because uh, Tristan Cassis is coming in, so maybe Dahlbeck goes to plays third and and Devers is a DH that way. I don't know. Cassis is going to play first, though, so Devers probably isn't going there. So the question, is Devers the third baseman? Is he a DH? I don't know, but he's a guy that I want to lock up. If you can hit like he hits, I want him here long-term. Got another text in, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. This one's from Bill in Jeffersonville. Brady, what's the big tease you had with Tom Karen? What are you going to announce? You left us hanging. Yeah, I did. Um, 
we're going to announce it tomorrow. Okay, I'm going to announce. I got a, 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 a big show announcement tomorrow. TC's involved, and uh, we'll tell you what that is tomorrow. So um, we'll do that tomorrow. Big announcement there from um, from me. This show about our future and Tom Karen is involved. So use your imagination for the next 24 hours. And uh, we look forward to doing that tomorrow. So the show continues to grow. That's the thing that's most important to me. All right. The show is brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity interval training workout program based in South Burlington, right off Interstate 189, inside the Shaw's Plaza off 189, across from Buffalo Wild Wings, that plaza there. So on 189 or just off 189, technically on Shelburne Road, it's an hour-long workout. You sign up for the workout. You go in hour-long. You get in. You get out. You burn anywhere between 500 and 1,200 calories in that hour. It's phenomenal, and you feel awesome for a full day whenever you go there. I can't replicate that workout on my own. I've tried. I went to Orange Theory for three years before the pandemic. They got closed like everywhere else. I tried to replicate it on my own. Could not get close. Got out of shape. You know, Lost my cardio. Lost my strength. And just couldn't replicate the energy. You get in, guided workout, hour long, get out, feel great, burn all those calories. It's a uh, it's a pretty special place, and it's a place I enjoy going. So, um, tell them that I sent you. Tell them you heard about it from Brady on WDEV. Check them out on Facebook, Orange Theory Fitness Burlington. So that's Orange Theory Fitness. It's a high intensity interval training program, and these things are all the rage. But Orange Theory Fitness is at the top of the chart. All right, can we please? Now here's we sit, October 12th. Can we please make sure that all the High and Bloom haters, one, apologize to High and Bloom on social media, because all of you who had the thank you Haim hashtag, you know, in sarcasm for months, he he deserves an apology. And to these listeners, I would like an apology for defending High and Bloom. Because High and Bloom is awesome. And this team that is now in the ALCS, that is now just four wins away from the World Series. This team was put together by High and Bloom. I did this segment maybe back in July, essentially, and it holds true again now. Whatever you like about this team, whatever you think is good about this team, most of it is attributed to High and Bloom. You all wanted to crush him. Last year, you crushed him for trading Mookie Betts. How could you trade my favorite player? How could you do that? You crushed him spring training this year, offseason. He didn't like the moves he made. He didn't do enough. He didn't replace Mookie. He traded away Benintendi. You hated that. Trade deadline, that's when the thank you Himes came out. I can't believe they didn't get Rizzo. I can't believe they didn't get Kimbrell. I can't believe they didn't get Scherzer. You all wanted to crush High and Bloom. I hope you recognize that this team, he built it, and now it's going to the ALCS. The heroes of this series, most of them, they're Bloom guys. Oh, you think Kike was the best player for the Red Sox in this series? Yeah, Bloom signed him. Thank him for it. Oh, you think Pavetta is the hero of this series? Yeah, Bloom signed him too. Oh, yeah, you love that Whitlock kept it where it was yesterday late. Yeah, Bloom found him also. So, High and Bloom has his fingerprints all over this team and this roster, which is now in the ALCS. Even though I didn't believe the team could get this good, I always believed in Bloom's methodology. 
I always believed in what Bloom was doing, and I always believed that the players he brought in would yield positive returns. I just thought maybe they were going to end up getting traded at the deadline. So they stick it out the whole year, they end up being good for the Red Sox. But I always believed in what Bloom was doing. If you trust in Alex Verdugo and you love the energy that Verdugo brings to the ballpark every day, thank Bloom for that because in that egregious Mookie trade, he brought back Verdugo and Verdugo's energy helped get the Red Sox to this point. That record don't matter. You know what I mean? We the best team in the AL East. That's simple, but, you know, it's just... We're excited, man. You know, we knew they were a good, uh, good group of guys, good team, and just come out here, fight, you know. But uh, I feel like really good games on, man. The, the games were good, fun, interesting, and, uh, I mean, things went our way, and we love it. So no matter where you point to, Bloom deserves your appreciation and your respect. Kike, best offensive player in this series. Bloom signed him on a good deal. Two years, $14 million. That looks like a steal now. He acquired Pavetta, Heath Hembry, and uh, Brandon Workman netted Pavetta. Pretty good deal for Bloom, I would say. Whitlock, Bloom did it. Verdugo, Bloom did it. The guy who led off game three with a home run, Kyle Schwarber, Bloom got him at the deadline. Bloom, not every move has turned to gold. I'm not that naive. Franchi Cordero did nothing for this team this year. I get it. Martin Perez struggled for most of the year. But a lot of what Bloom did have been a lot of hits. And he also brought back Alex Cora. A lot of people have been praising Alex Cora, and justly so, for what he's done for this team chemistry-wise, belief-wise, for what he's done for this team, how he's managed the bullpen, etc. Alex Cora deserves a lot of praise. Hyam Bloom deserves the praise, too, because he brought him back. Hyam Bloom had a chance to hire Cora, and he did it. You all wanted to crush Bloom all season long, but he found a way to do what we've all said is nearly impossible. Hyam Bloom found a way to do what we think is nearly impossible in sports. He's found a way to be competitive while also building for the future. Hyam Bloom found a way in 2021 with the Red Sox to win now. He found a way to win now while also keeping the objective of winning later. And that's what Tom Karen of Nesson told us about an hour ago. Uh, and he turned that team around in one offseason to be one of the final two American League teams playing. And, and, and did all that while, while rebuilding a, a pipeline, a farm system that was ranked 20th by MLB Pipeline uh, at the uh, beginning of the season and was ranked ninth in their most recent rank or recent ranking. So so he's got the team in the ALCS and has improved the minor league farm system by 11 spots. That's pretty good. That's a delicate balance to try to wrestle with, and Hyam Bloom found a way this year to do it. And I don't think, even I as a Bloom defender, I don't think I've given Bloom enough credit for what TC said earlier there. This team last year, was they finished in last place. Remember, in the shortened season, the Red Sox finished behind the Baltimore Orioles. Like, let's get the standings up here. The Red Sox were 24-36. and 36. They finished one game behind the Orioles. They finished in last place. And in one year, he's taken a last-place team and gotten to the ALCS. Worst to really good 
stories. They happen in football all the time. Because of the draft, the schedule changed the way the league is set up. Worst to first happens every year in football. Worst to the ALCS, that doesn't really happen in baseball very often. Occasionally, but not often. Generally, when teams are that bad, it's a slow grind back to prominence. It's a lot of years of awful, awful, mediocre, mediocre, mediocre. Okay, kind of good, kind of good, kind of good. Okay, really good. It doesn't happen overnight. Ian Bloom made it happen overnight. The guy's a wizard. Get on board with it. Be a part of the Bluminati. That's what we want. Tom Karen and I are in the Bluminati. In the Bluminati. Who's joining us? Because this guy has taken so much grief for the last 20 months that he's been here, and he doesn't deserve it. He's found a way to win now while not compromising the future and setting you up to win later. The Blue Jays are going to be really good next year. The Rays are still going to be really good. Winning the division is not a foregone conclusion next year. But High and Bloom has put this team in a position to be contenders, I think, year in and year out. And now they've reset the luxury tax. If they want to be, they can go back to swimming at the top of the food chain in free agency. And Bloom helped create that by alleviating the money. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. The voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, is always with us on a Tuesday. Because of the Red Sox and the unique circumstances of today, we decided to talk to Tom Karen of Nesson at 545 in Bob's spot. So we spoke to Bob earlier today, and it's already online on our podcast channel, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So what we're going to do, we're going to play back a few minutes of my conversation with Bob. There's a 13-minute interview online waiting for you to go listen to. We've got five minutes here, the best five minutes of Bob Sosi. But before I do, crew, can we get the Bob Sosi, the Bob Sosi music? Can we get the Bob Sosi return? He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon, touchdown. Patriots. Dua takes the snap. He's looking over the middle. Moves up, moves up. He's hit. The ball floats toward the corner of the end zone. Picked off by J.C. Jackson. Oh. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to Foxborough. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, that always does get me hyped to talk to Bob Sosi. So we spoke to Bob earlier today. I started off by telling Bob, hey, Bob, the, the Pats win. They're 2-3. and three. As a result, they're kind of on the fringes of the AFC playoff picture. But, Bob, the AFC is really deep all of a sudden. Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, Cleveland, Vegas, Denver. Like, there's a lot of teams with good records here, and I don't quite know where the Pats have an in. What do you think of the rest of the AFC, Bob? Well, we are in October, and we know yes. that's a long True. way. <laughs> To January and what I find that that's especially interesting about the AFC you, you mentioned those teams and you know the the, the old blue chips to borrow a term that you used to hear a lot about uh, with Kentucky and North Carolina the blue bloods in college basketball and uh, you know the, the, the blue chip stocks well the, the blue chip franchises for me in the NFL at least in the AFC of late have been Kansas City uh, Pittsburgh perennially of course in the mix generally speaking the Patriots 
and you routed off those teams. Baltimore is one of those consistent winners in the AFC. But here you have the Bills looking so dominant you yeah. know, after they ended a, about a 20-year drought in the playoffs and got in and lost and then you know, gradually taken steps the last few years. And last year, Chris got to the AFC Championship. And now here they are after dominating the defending AFC champions on Sunday night, you know, in, in great position in, in the Patriots division, the AFC East. Uh, but you, you look at the, 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 the standings across the board. There are a lot of teams that went into last week three and one and a lot of teams that went into last week one and three. And I think what's most imperative for the Patriots, and this is going to sound cliche, is to ignore the standings and forget about projections down the road. It's a week to week league. Uh, the Patriots have been a week to week team, although they've lost three of their first four generally against quality competition. They were close and had an opportunity to win the games against new Orleans and Tampa Bay. And then of course, a bit of a setback in a lot of respects emotionally at the outset of the game against Houston. But I think that they'll be up for this game with Dallas. And and then this is really, I guess, you know, a a real benchmark game for them uh, when it comes to what kind of a football team they, they do have. I heard Josh McDaniels a little while ago say that from an offensive standpoint, it takes six to eight weeks really to understand who you are, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Uh, so I think that goes probably for all phases of the game. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, for a long time, I thought the Patriots were going to figure it out with Stephon Gilmore, and they were going to subsequently then let J.C. Jackson walk for big money in free agency. Then... Now Gilmore's gone, and I think to myself, well, I guess they're going to have to lock up Jackson because they can't lose they can't lose both of them. Jackson did not have a very good game on Sunday. Does that just seem like a one-off, I hope, because he's he's definitely better than that. Well, you know, he played last year down the stretch as the Patriots' so-called number one cornerback, of course, when Gilmore had the quad surgery. And, you know, J.C. had, you know, some issues. He had a lot of interceptions. We know that. He's a very skilled player when it comes to his ball skills. And he's a guy that generally has been very competitive. He's a good tackler as a cornerback. He's someone who's played well, by and large, for the Patriots, if not very well. But I thought it was interesting in the spring, Brady, when the Patriots tendered him with a second-round tender as a restricted free agent. You know, a team could have had him had they given him an offer the Patriots didn't match and therefore mm. given up a second-round draft pick. To me, if you think a guy is a number-one cornerback, in the NFL. And this is a guy with a track record now coming into the league in 2018 with that body of work that included all those takeaways last year. You know, he might be worth the second round pick, I would think, in the minds of most teams around the league. But he came back to the Patriots, of course, on the second round tender. And you're right, they've got to make a decision with him. And I was I was disappointed they couldn't come to some sort of an agreement with Gilmore. And I understand the concerns, guy coming off quad surgery, 31 years of age, trying to make any kind of a commitment to him financially that's going to not only pay him this year and maybe next year, but also be on your books because whatever they would do would involve some creative marketing to try to alleviate, you know, the, the salary cap hits. So you might be paying for that contract you know, a couple of years from now. And I can understand some trepidation about doing that. But at the same time, you know, I've, I've said since the spring, we did a, a spring football show, Ted Johnson, the former Patriot linebacker, and I and mm-hmm. and on our flagship here in Boston. And we talked about it at the time the Patriots put that RFA tender on JC. Now, I just don't know in those situations, especially against really good receivers. And you go back to Stefan Diggs last year, late in the season against Buffalo, whether, you know, that that's a guy that you want to commit $16 million to 
uh, on a franchise tag or you know, a large sum over a long term as your quote-unquote number one cornerback. Well, that was Bob Sosi again, the best of Bob today, talking about J.C. Jackson and where the Patriots rank in the AFC hierarchy. So uh, the full interview is available on the podcast channel. Bob's back with us again at 545 next Tuesday. When we come back, we're going to finish out the show. And I have a very clear message for one group of people in the state of Vermont. Be better. I'll tell you who that is. That's next on DEV. Hi, it's Tara from Green Mountain Solar. Since day one, our goal has been to provide the best solar experience in Vermont. But you don't have to take our word for it. Here are a few of our customers sharing why they picked Green Mountain Solar. I went with Green Mountain Solar because a friend of mine had a really great experience with them. I felt immediately a sense of integrity from start to finish. I'm a firm believer of getting quotes from multiple companies. So we actually had three companies come out uh, and they answered all my questions. And frankly, was uh, he made it so that it was super easy for me, which is, I mean, we're, especially in today's day and age, we have two young kids. So um, the easier it is for me, the better. There's just these panels up on my roof and they do this job of bringing electricity to the house that runs, you know, everything. If this sounds like the solar experience you're looking for, visit our website at greenmtnsolar.com. It it feels like magic to me, to be honest. Red Cedar and Hemlock Clapboards are available at Cleveland Cedar Products in Wolcott. They have many hard-to-find siding products. Don't let fall weather slow your siding project. Let Cleveland Cedar Products help with pre-staining. Their quality is unmatched and their prices are the best anywhere. Log on to cedarguide.com and let Henry and his family provide their best products and 40 years of siding experience. Cleveland Cedar Products, Route 15, just three miles west of Wolcott Village. Artists Uniting for Wildlife presents a special benefit concert at the Highland Center for the Arts, featuring legendary singer-songwriter David Mallet. If the morning star still disappears Behind the sky of blue If people rise and go to work Like they always do As long as young folks fall in love And kids keep growing tall With the earth below and the sky above There is hope for one There's one good spark in the falling David Mallet, Tish Hinojosa, and the Mallet Brothers Trio at the Highland Center for the Arts this Sunday at 3 p.m. Proof of vaccination and mask required. Media support provided by WDEV. Celebrate 90 years of WDEV. Join us for extended interview programs, remote broadcasts, and special historical features. Sponsored by Northfield Savings Bank, the bank of builders, makers, doers, and explorers, commuters, and planners. They are the bank of you and everything you do. Start banking your way today at nsbvt.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, and New England Municipal Resource Center. Nemerick, proudly supporting local government, local businesses, and WDEV. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. High schoolers need to be better in the state of Vermont. 
I am tired of reading this garbage of what's happening at high school sporting events. You've got racially insensitive language being spewed at, at allegedly at soccer games, at girls' volleyball games, and now you've got sexual harassment being alleged against the Fairhaven Union high school student section against a player from Hartford. I am tired of reading this garbage. Be better, high schoolers. Like, I know what it's like to be a high schooler, and I know what it's like to be a high school boy. So, like, I get it. They can be crude. They can be vile. But guess what? This is 2021. Youth and ignorance are not excuses anymore. With all the access and all the phones and all the technology that these kids have at their disposal, they're smart enough to perceive what's going on around them. People lose jobs every day from prominent industries for having thoughts and for saying things like this. Know that you shouldn't say it, know that you shouldn't write it, and know that you shouldn't think it. You're smart enough now and you see that there are real consequences to people saying and doing these things in real life. You see it and you have access to it. Ignorance is not an excuse in 2021. There's no, oh, I'm just a young guy. No, there is no more boys will be boys. Be better. People shouldn't be subjected to racial or sexually insensitive language while they are playing or attending their sporting event. Be better. And it's a lot of people that need to be better. The kids themselves, the parents who maybe give them these thoughts in the first place, the kids around them who say nothing. Again, I know what it's like to be young. I know what it's like to be a young guy. I get it. That doesn't give you an excuse. There are no more excuses. Not in 2021. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Dot com. That'll do it for us. Thanks to Tom Karen. Thanks to Bob Sosi. Tom Brennan, by the way, was with us on the podcast channel as he is every single Tuesday. So tomorrow we're back out at a huge show. Freddie Coleman will have. Also, Seth Wickersham wrote the book on the Patriots. All of the uh, infighting between Brady Belichick and Kraft. I'm excited to talk with Seth Wickersham. He'll be with me tomorrow as well. Go download the podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll see you back at it here on a Wednesday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.